well, alhamdulillah, I believe in Allah, so therefore I can't be depressed. Like, for the most part, that is people um, covering over the truth, mm. which is, which is, you know, the word that everyone likes to point the finger at other people of kufar, really means <laughs> kafara, means to cover over the truth. And a lot of people are covering over their own truth of the state of their being by saying, you know, by, by trying to be what they think they're supposed to be as a Muslim, rather than being in their experience as a human being. I believe everybody has a story. And Dhani has been all about these stories coming from opinions, personal experiences, life lessons, and so much more. And somewhere along the lines, we find ourselves being part of these stories or they being part of us in nooks and crannies, in crumbs, in echoes and reflections. Our guest today is Dr. Abdullah Rothman, the founder of Shifa Integrative Counseling and the principal of Cambridge Muslim College. He is a licensed professional counselor and a board-certified registered art therapist, working at the intersection of Islamic spirituality and mental health practice. Sit back and relax and listen to this podcast because Dr. Rothman highlights many aspects of our psychological being weaved in with the Islamic principles. Amongst many other things, the most pertinent topic that he talks about is spiritual bypassing and the rest I'll let you listen to it. If you like the podcast please share, give us a review, spread it out. Thank you. Dr. Rathman, I am so happy for you to be here on Dhani. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure to be here with you. Dr. Rothman, I have seen some of your work and uh, I heard a few of your uh, videos on, on YouTube um, as well. You um, have integrated, I would imagine, one of the two largest principles <laughs> available to us, which is psychology and our religion, Islam. So yes. briefly, just take us through the concept of, of our, I mean, are we looking at cognition and behavior and nurturing of the human body and mind through the Islamic lens? Yes, exactly. That's, that's it in a nutshell. But I would say that when we do that, when we look at all those things and the, the holistic picture of the human being through an Islamic lens, it does, from, from a, an Islamic perspective, it, it, it does reorient our understanding and interpretation of psychology, right? So when, when, um, when we think of psychology from a secular Western lens, it's, it's often thought of as cognition, mental health, um, brain function, you know, and, and there's lots of different approaches to it and different um, ways that people deal with it. But from an Islamic perspective, 
it's all integrated. Um, our, our view, an Islamic view of the human being is, is an integrated one. And so therefore, there is cognition and there is the mental aspect of the human being, but that is one aspect of the identity of the self, let's say. This holistic picture that includes the spiritual reality, the emotional reality, the physical reality, and we don't make a separation between these. So you also um, are the mastermind behind uh, Shifa counseling, which is obviously uh, combining the two, so psychotherapy through an Islamic lens. So how? What's the modulation? How do you go about it? Well, in my own practice as a as a psychotherapist, really, first and foremost, I'm going about it by being with the human being that's in front of me and really connecting with where they are and what they need for their particular situation and their particular place. And that is very much also an Islamic approach and an Islamic model modeled by the Prophet because of this idea of suhba and that the believer is a mirror for the believer, and that engaging in this interaction with two human beings, first and foremost, it is sort of inviting being in the presence of God through that connection. And so rather than to approach it from a, a really clinical, theoretical model standpoint where we say, mm. okay, I'm coming from this theoretical approach with this theoretical model, and therefore I'm going to look at this human being from the lens of that theoretical model. Instead, it's, it's sort of first um, being present with this human being with where they are, and then um, the, the, the approaches are informed by this Islamic model, but it's, it's because it's holistic and because it's integrative, it really um, immersed in the sort of ethos of it rather than approaching it as a formula. Mm. So, so therapy usually is dealing with a situation that the patient might be feeling in terms of sort of mentally or emotionally. So the, so the, the, many, the many layers and therapy sort of takes those layers off and deals with them. And it could be sort of like a painkiller, which sort of covers everything and, you know, just, just a temporary relief, providing a temporary relief. And then there are layers whereby, as in I'm talking from the Western point of view, then there are therapists who would then dig deep into your, uh, past and into your childhood and then layer out and weed out situations just to make sense of everything. That's right. So, yeah, so, so, right, go on. Sorry, go on. I think you already know my question, so just go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so, you know, from a, I would say from an Islamic approach, the, we would, we would still, um, pay attention to what the person's presenting problem is, right? This is what you're saying, is that people have a presenting problem they, that they come in because they're experiencing some sort of 
uh, difficulty or something that's getting in the way of their normal functioning or, or uh, some acute anxiety or something like this, right? It's a presenting okay. problem. Yeah. And so always, you know, for me personally as a, as a therapist and, and very much so as, a, as, as, an Islam, as an Islamic psychotherapist, I would be with that person and, and pay attention to the symptoms and the presenting problem that they are articulating and they're coming in with. Because there's a lot of information in that experience, right? Somebody is having an experience and rather than saying, well, you know, uh, belittling it or shooing it away as not important or maybe not as spiritual or whatever it is, whatever somebody is dealing with, from this perspective, it is a, it is a, uh, a result of and a pointer towards um, what it is that God is, is presenting for them to work through in their experience of life and being human. And, and in that experience, there's information there that can really not only be potentially transformative, but also sort of signposts to follow of where the person needs to go to find healing. And, and when mm -hmm. we talk about healing in this sense, it's not, you know, I would say generally from an Islamic perspective, healing doesn't mean just re the removal of pain or the removal of the symptom or the removal of some sort of uncomfortable or difficulty. difficulty. It may be that for a certain period of time, that's what the focus is. Maybe somebody is dealing with so much trauma and, and in so much discomfort or, or feeling uh, uncomfortable that the focus really is just about them feeling safe or feeling mm. or getting rid of the, the acute experience, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's, that's, um, that's often what the focus would be if that's where the person is at. But then from a, from a wider, broader perspective and, and very much a, in a long-term perspective of where the treatment goal is from an Islamic perspective would not be limited to just the removal of symptoms because what we understand that the 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 bala or the the trial or tribulation or difficulty in in our lives is an opportunity for growth and in that an opportunity to come closer to Allah and mm. so and so the the process would then unfold and that may you know look differently in terms of a timeline for, for each client of of uncovering what it is about this presenting problem that has a potential in it for um, healing in that sense mm. so but do you have clients who are not people of the religion Yes, I do. So I, I would say now at this point in my career, because there's such a huge need in the Muslim community, um, I tend to have almost solely Muslim clients because, because of that, because of the community they come to me. However, earlier on in my career, I had a lot of um, clients that were non-Muslim and still do have a few now. Um, I'm not doing as much individual therapy these days. I'm more focused on training therapists and, and 
developing, you know, ways of working in, in this way. But um, when I work with non-Muslim clients, I would say I'm still operating from what an Islamic model, but I'm maybe not going to be as um, as specific mm. to to theological um, aspects or, or frameworks, but that doesn't necessarily change the way that I'm working as a therapist. So, for example, there's still the notion that transformation is possible, right? That that it's not just about the removal of symptoms like we were talking about, but that mm. but that seeing the human being as this spiritual being that has the potential for growth, a an understanding from an Islamic model that the human being has something to do, right? So we believe as Muslims that everything is in Allah's hands, right? Like there's there's qadr. And at the same time, there's the reality that the human being has some responsibility in terms of internal work. So we know in the Quran, Allah says, Allah does not change a people until they change what is in themselves. Mm. And so there's this there is this notion that the human being has the ability to be self-reflective and introspective mm -hmm. and to do some of this sort of disciplining of the soul to uncover layers of their heart. Mm -hmm. And that and that is something that, you know, is very easy to apply to non-Muslims because I think there's language that I that I use that makes sense even sure. if I'm not use even if I'm not using Arabic terminology. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. So, you know, there's a, I, I, I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, but there's a huge mental barrier block whereby I've heard it from my own, on, from my own ears, whereby, you know, things like depression and anxiety, and if you have them, you're not supposed to go to a therapist for that. You should pray directly to Allah. And why do you need to go to a therapist to um, offload? That's one school right. of thinking. Then the other is whereby uh, if you have depression, you're probably infiltrated by some sort of a jinn. That's one. Right. There is no space for depression in our religion. How do we, how do we wrap? our heads around this this whole barrier, this whole huge construct? And how do we try to sort of break it down from the Islamic lens, of course? Yeah, there's a lot of, like you say, there's a lot of layers and levels to it. Um, you know, at the, at the outside layer, there's the reality that there's a stigma. There's a stigma against mm. mental health in the Muslim community where people shun it and think that it has no place and 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 are and are somewhat scared of it and and disbelieving of it and and so there's there's some work to be done in terms of like education of what that means right mm -hmm. what what mental health means what having you know people tend to think that it's either you're you have a mental illness or you're normal and mm -hmm. and and they don't see that there's a gradation and and a spectrum for all human beings, and it's not just about, it's not a black and white thing. It's not either you have sure. a mental illness or yeah. you're okay. There's a lot of gray area in between for everybody. 
And so, so that's one aspect is just, you know, people are unaware and they need to be educated of, of what these terms mean and what these experiences are. And then underneath that, though, the other level to it is that there's a lot of, a lot of that, that ignorance or, you know, I'm saying this, this unawareness can also turn into avoidance where people use that excuse to avoid the work that they need to do in terms of mm-hmm. recognizing their own state. And, and, and this is, I would say, the biggest problem that I see in the Muslim community is this notion that if you were a good Muslim and you do what you're supposed to do, then you shouldn't have depression or anxiety. This is, this is incorrect. We know all, there's all kinds of examples of the Sahaba and the, the prophets and the, and the prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself experiencing sadness. We have the year of sadness we know about, right? Correct. Yeah. And there's all kinds of examples of, of the, 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 our righteous predecessors and the, the prophet himself, who we are, is an example for us experiencing human emotion, experiencing, uh, levels of human emotion, including things that are akin to depression and anxiety. And these are, these are just, um, these are gradations again, right? So sadness can turn into depression. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, worry, uh, hum, worry can turn into anxiety. It's just, uh, right? And so the way that um, the, 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 the idea is to allow for these human human experiences to be adi like to be okay to be normal right we we fear them because we don't understand them and because we have misunderstood them and so now what the big problem here is is that people tend to what 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 i call or what what is a term that's used in 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 psychology is spiritual bypassing mm-hmm. and what this means is that this notion that if you just do what you're supposed to do, or if you are a good believing Muslim, then you won't, you know, have anxiety or depression, for example. And this is, this is a way of avoidance of the reality of your human state. And, and so what people say is, well, um, you know, if you just pray, then it should go away. Or if you mm-hmm. just make dua, or, you know, a person will have depression or anxiety and they'll go to a sheikh and say, please give me, the, give me a dua to um, make this go away. And so there is absolutely nothing wrong with making dua. We have to make dua. We have to pray. And all these things, dua and prayer and all of our ibadah, are things that strengthen our iman, which does strengthen our resilience to these things like depression and anxiety. However, mm-hmm. the way is to go through the difficulty, to go through the anxiety and the depression, not avoid it, not go around it, right? And so there is nothing more Islamic about, you know, saying, well, alhamdulillah, I believe in Allah, so therefore I can't be depressed. Like, for the most part, that is people um, covering over the truth, mm. which is which is you know the word that everyone likes to point the finger at other people of kufar really means <laughs> kafara means to cover over the truth, and a lot of people are covering over their own truth of the state of their being 
by saying, you know, by, by trying to be what they think they're supposed to be as a Muslim, rather than being in their experience as a human being. Mm. Yes, because you sometimes you're made to believe that you're actually stepping into the the realm of shirk if you were to go out and seek help. One feels helpless at that time when you are sort of reminded that you know what you're doing, right? And this is wrong. Yeah, so so I think this is the thing is the help seeking is people people tend to and this is this is part partly true is that you know the options perhaps that are available to people for seeking um, mental health counseling or therapy is there's this fear like oh well I don't want to go outside of the fold of Islam and if I go into the you know go to the secular uh, person who's going to guide me away from the the tool, the system of 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 my belief then this is problematic and and that's true it can be problematic which is why we need more um trained muslim mental health practitioners who understand this islamic paradigm of psychology because mm-hmm. it is not is not a binary it's not either or it's not either you're you have religious spiritual guidance or mental health guidance the fact Correct. of the matter is is that it it is one and the same it, and and our our we used to have in our muslim societies uh, you know only about 100 years ago where in every community there would be a sheikh who was essentially the therapist of the community mm-hmm. people would go mm-hmm. to the sheikh not just for dua but for trying to understand their their soul trying to understand the struggles and the difficulties that they're going through in life and the sheikh would not just give them a religious edict, not just give them a fatwa of behavior, but would guide them towards what they need to do in terms of self-reflection, self-accountability, muhasaba, the self-introspection. This, this was um, integral in the Islamic tradition. And, and it was not, you know, the, the scholars. Now we tend to think of scholars as book-learned people of the book but the the true scholars if you look back not very far long ago were polymaths they were they were yes theologians they understood the the books but they also were psychologists they were physicians they were philosophers because all of these things are integrated because the human being is integrated and so we can't mm-hmm. separate religious guidance in terms of knowledge of the Quran without knowledge of how to live the Quran, right? The Prophet was the was the Quran walking. Mm-hmm. And and so we need we need people who understand what the Quran looks like in living, breathing, adapting to actual the difficulties of our daily life. You know, and we can't make a separation between religion as this thing that only lives in the mosque and, and, and at home when you're reading Quran, and then life struggles. The, the life struggles, the difficulties of life, the relationships, the, the work, going to your job, losing your job, having financial troubles, that's the deen. That's where the deen happens. Right. So my last question, which is probably a huge ask, 
say you're presented, you know how it is that um, certain emotions manifest themselves like phys- physically and through bodily functions. You sort of understand somebody who has an upset tummy or insomnia is probably going through X, Y, Z. So there is a case that is presented to you. So two-pronged question. So you look at the physical symptoms or do you look at a case uh, through the Islamic lens? That's one. And two, how are we, what kind of tools do you offer to people suffering from grief or unattended grief or pain? And perhaps they're in denial. Yeah, so, so to answer the first question, the physical is very much part of the Islamic uh, approach and part of the Islamic, you know, it's, I, there wouldn't be a, a, a separation between those things, right? So if somebody comes in with physical symptoms, it's, it's part of the integral human experience. And, and very often, um, emotional and even spiritual imbalance can be manifested in physical symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so it's very important for, for any practitioner, whether they're working from a psychology model or a, you know, a TIB model, or Islamic medicine, uh, you know, anybody who's dealing with sort of helping healing somebody, the, from an Islamic perspective, the, the, the psychological and the physical and the emotional have to be all considered in an integrated fashion. That's not to say, so that there is definitely an understanding of uh, endogenous depression and exogenous depression. As a matter of fact, even those terms, so this is understanding that some things are, you know, in, uh, exogenous, meaning that they have a physical uh, cause, right? There can, be a, mm. there can be physical imbalance in the body. And endogenous, meaning that there can be some sort of internal, uh, cognitive, emotional, spiritual imbalance that's causing this depression and mm. and one of the or the first person to recognize this was abu zayd al-balhi who was a ninth century muslim um again polymath sort of you know psychologist theologian uh, physician and he uh, made this distinction and so we we understand that you know sometimes there is something that's physical and has to be treated with physical remedy Right, uh, and sometimes there are. It's more complicated than that, and you have to pay attention. You have to sort of have, be looking at the whole picture. So that's that's. I guess what I would say to that piece of the, of your question, and then the second thing about grief, the first thing that I would want to work with in somebody who's experiencing grief is to not let them avoid feeling the grief, feeling Mm. the loss. And this is very often what is the case, and this is very very much what I mentioned in terms of spiritual bypassing, is where, you know, people see um they 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 somebody close to them dies or they have some sort of loss and and they feel sad. Obviously the, the reaction is to feel sad and then they feel guilty for being sad because they should they should remind themselves that, oh well you know, if I was a real believer, I would know that that this person right. is with is with a lot. <laughs> so and that typical. In a so place. typical. 
Mm. Right. And so they sort of beat themselves up, I think, sometimes for feeling grief, right? But this is not a, this is not correct aqidah, really. It's it's not that we should jump over our process and get to this place of saying, oh, well, I know that they're with Allah and I know Allah uh, determines everybody's death and so therefore it should be good. But then that's skipping over the actual process, which is a spiritual process of, of going through that pain of loss. That is, that is what we're supposed to be going through as human beings. And, and we have the examples specifically of the Prophet his son died and he was experiencing grief. This is mm. the year of sadness. It, why did Allah make this happen? The, the Prophet came to us as an example for how we are supposed to live. And right. so he had these experiences to show us we, loss is a part of this dunya life. And when you have grief, it is natural for you to feel sadness and to allow that sadness to unfold. Because in that unfolding and allowing of that pain and grief to be there is actually another vehicle for you to get closer to Allah. Mm. It is not something to avoid. It is something to be with. You have to be with the sadness, be with the pain, because it opens you up to another level of surrender to Allah. That's like a huge veil that you have um, taken off, which is, which is comforting to say the least. When you know that you can be sad and you can grieve and you're right. still uh, enough of a mu'min. <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It is. Uh, sort of a burden taking taken off. People think that they have to manage all these things and sort of be stoic and be, you know, this 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 that piety equals, um, you know, uh, some sort of non emotive uh, statue of a human being, and that's that's just not our nature, human beings. The, the Prophet Isaiah said that the the kalb, the human heart, is like a bubbling pot of water. And it, 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 it bubbles. These bubbles come to the surface because of the, the nature of, of, the, of the fluctuation in the dunya. And this is our human response to it. And it's, it's natural. It's in, it's in the fitra of our experience of human beings. Lovely. So just before you leave, two things. Uh, you know, with the pandemic, everybody's sort of going through various emotions and, and feelings and they, they come in waves and they go. So what do you have to say for all of us? How do we manage this big, big, big um, uh, elephant, which is called mm. overwhelm and anxiety, which is sort of sitting in us? One. And two, if people want to know more about your work, where can they find you? Okay. You know, I, there's a lot to be said about the, the pandemic and what, what that presents. But I think one of the overarching things is that what it has done is it has sh um, shifted people's lives and forced them to slow down and to be, you know, in, in a very, in, in, for, for many of us, literally stuck inside, right? Mm -hmm. And so what this points to is that we need to go inside. We need to be going more internal and being self-reflective and slowing down and taking the time to be still with ourselves and to reflect and to be. And, and what, what instead, what we are normally doing 
before this pandemic came and forced us to, to take a different perspective and change is that we kept ourselves very busy. We're constantly busy. We're constantly running around and we're doing. We're constantly doing. And instead, uh, uh, and what that is, is, is it's another way of avoidance. Remember we talked mm. about spiritual bypassing is avoiding the human reality, the human emotion that you need to let yourself experience. And this busyness uh, keeps us from doing that. And we're constantly doing, and instead we should be being. We need to learn how to be. And so I always say that we are more human doings than we are human beings. And we need to learn... <laughs> We need to learn how to be human beings, and 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 part of that is being going inside, right? And so I like this metaphor of we're all stuck inside. So take the take that uh, you know take advantage of this time and and go inside, go inside mm -hmm. your own heart, go inside and be reflective. Um, and then I would say, oh, so your other question is what? How to to find out about my work um there's many different many different places i guess the easiest ways i guess people could google my name abdullah with an a abdullah rothman um but there's there's several platforms where i have uh especially within this pandemic time i've done quite a few um uh, talks and online courses talking about how to go inside um how to be with ourselves and so one that was very popular in the past several months that I've done during Ramadan was through Cambridge Muslim College. We had this uh, Ramadan live program and I did a, throughout the whole month of Ramadan, a series called Midnight Moments. And they're short 15 to 20 minute sessions. They're still available online on YouTube and it basically walks people through very practical tools of how to build resilience and, and do this self-reflective work. Brilliant, brilliant. I think I'm going to be uh, searching that up for sure. Although I was quite keenly following this uh, during Ramadan, but I think I kind of missed yours. But so thank you. It's been absolutely delightful and uh, psychological and spiritual <laughs> talking yes. to you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.